Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Can a nation be great? Many politicians want us to believe that one can. But what exactly does it mean to be great if a country or collection of people want to be? Today we continue listening to a conversation between Liberty Magazine editor Lincoln Steed and his guest Alan Reinick, executive director of the California-based Church State Council. This discussion was recorded in the studios of the Three Angels Broadcasting Network. Let's hear what these men, who are deeply dedicated to church-state separation, have to say on the subject. Here are Lincoln Steed and Alan Reinick. We were talking about greatness. Indeed. We all want to be part of greatness, be on the winning team, to be part of a great nation. And I think at the moment the United States is legitimately reaching toward what makes us great. Unfortunately, a few people that exemplify some of the less great aspects have come out of the woodwork. But greatness is not a bad thing to aim at, is it? Well, look, we certainly have seen in the last election cycle that it's great political rhetoric. You know, it's very effective political rhetoric. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. And just about like that. we can. I mean, most right. political slogans they're, but, they're designed you know, to. But let's put this back. Potential. Let's put this back in the prophetic setting, because in Revelation 13, the same country that has these wonderful aspirations of separation of powers, of the rule of law, of respect for civil and religious freedom, its own sense of pride in its Christian heritage, in its greatness, ultimately leads it to becoming a persecuting power and enforcing the mark of the beast. Now, how do you get from these wonderful lamb-like principles to what can only be described as dragon-like satanic behavior? Yeah. And I think that what it is, clearly in the pages of Scripture, is this blending of faith and patriotism. It's a pride and it's, it's a, a blending of civil and religious authority. Persecution has to do with the government making value judgments between religions, which yeah. has always been forbidden to our government to make value judgments. Because it's so fraught. So Different governments are going to decide differently of what is truth and error. They're not competent. The Supreme Court in the case of Trump versus Hawaii upheld the so-called Muslim ban totally ignoring that we clearly had made a value judgment as between the majority religion, Christianity, and holding people from Islamic countries suspect. Yeah. These are value judgments. This is something that our government is constitutionally prohibited from doing. Where this eventually leads, whether you agree with the outcome of Trump against Hawaii or not, where this eventually leads is to the end result of persecution. Yeah, they're hedging their bets. We, we know that there's, a, there's an attempt to uh, categorize an entire religious group. And today, we might be comfortable that it's that group, but the political winds could shift and it'd be another group that's seen as inimical to government Look, interests. So we, we don't want to go down that trail. We've got a history of war within the Christian history. In our own country, 
in recent years, we have this small group called Westboro Baptist Church that goes and pickets. They're extremely hostile to gays and what have you. And, and are they representative of the larger Christian community? No. Is ISIS representative of the entire Muslim community? No. Are they a, a, a real problem, a real threat? Of course they are. But to say that all Muslims are terrorists. Gross overreach. I had a case recently where an Armenian Orthodox Christian was mistaken for Muslim and was harassed and run out of uh, his job because they were, you know, and claiming. The same with the Sikhs, as you know, more, more commonly confused, yeah. Yeah. And, the, and, and yet the Sikhs have their own history. I asked somebody uh, from India recently. You know, how do you see the Sikhs in India? And I knew the answer because I, I'd been to the Sikh Golden Temple in India and, and just a few months before there was a rebellion in the north and uh, the Indian army actually invaded their temple, profaned it. Oh, really? Uh, and that led directly to uh, Indira Gandhi yeah. being assassinated by one of her Sikh Okay, this goes back so, a few years. So yeah. this, this uh, person said, oh, yes, we see them as quite militaristic but not in the same way as Islam and, and the Islamic actions. So it's not good for one group to be mixed in with the other in this sort of catch-all prejudice. And so we've got, we've got to defend all groups, as you know. I mean, this is, I'll reiterate it. Religious liberty is for all or ultimately it's for none. But you just can't start carving away a few religious groups that you're suspicious of, even with good cause. If we're going to talk about America's greatness, we have to talk about overcoming America's original sin. America's original sin is racism. Yeah. It was against the Native Americans. And our treatment of Native Americans, by the way, has also been characterized as genocide. As genocide that we're sure. a post-genocidal nation, which is sure. a pretty shocking thought. But how we deal with the issues of race, with minorities, with, you know, whether it's discrimination on the basis of national origin or anything else, this is America's original sin. And if we aspire to true greatness, we have to confront our original sin. You know, the Bible, of course, speaks to what is really great. Solomon was great because he knew God and could understand the difference between good and evil. Ellen White, writing to Seventh-day Adventist editors, she says, call no man great who hasn't chosen God and his ways. Jesus' statement, he who would be great among you, let him be as a servant. Well, yes. I mean, I can make a good argument that ultimately America's greatness, the greatest part of its story, because it's not all great, but, but its greatness derived from its Christian morality put into action. A good nation. But if we're going to talk about America in terms of being Christian, I think we have to distinguish between the Christian people and the nation. So to me, kind of the sine qua non of Christianity is the Sermon on the Mount. 
But I don't think that there are many Christians among us, you know, I, I hesitate to say any, who would contend that America as a Christian nation should vigorously implement the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. No, no. That in our relations to other countries, we should turn the other cheek, Well, for now example. you're getting to what I have written. <laughs> the government was designedly secular for any number of reasons. But in this regard, I think out of respect for religion. But it worked well when a critical mass of the population were informed by a Christian morality, a Christian sensibility. I mean, there's any number of statements that, that the framers expected that. Obviously, we don't buy into the spurious uh, historical argument that it was intended to be a Christian nation structurally and, and governmentally and so on. Not at all. In the founding generation, there was acknowledged by many of the leaders religious freedom for Jews, for Catholics, for Muslims, for, you know, that we had this broad concept. And really this kind of, I call it live and let live. You know, we all have the right to live according to our own values, our own beliefs, not just to have them, but to live according to them as long as we're living in peace and, and not infringing on the I've rights of others. And I've got to be politically, others. at least historically honest. I believe that live and live, live derived from the Enlightenment secular principles and from uh, deism. I think the golden rule had something to do with it also. Well, that's why the, the good Christians went along with it, but I don't think it came from that. What I mean is it, it was an outside force that spread that and it took root in the US and it's worked to the advantage of all faith and of religious freedom. Well, if I can express a little different view. Of course you can. You know, <laughs> Jefferson, look, Jefferson was expressing, you know, the broad understanding when he talks about God-given inalienable rights endowed by our creator. You know, he wasn't expressing a pure enlightenment. And he, he wasn't a pure Christian. No, he wasn't, <laughs> but, which is why I say, you know, he's, yeah. he is writing for the society, but not for himself. He was the moral hero, I think, one of the moral heroes of this new experiment. There's no you know, question. So there was a shared, you've said it earlier in the show, Protestant ethos that no founded question. our culture of rights, our respect for, for law, etc was yeah. based on a, a no, Protestant ethos. Absolutely. I mean, I, we're just differing on, on, on some terminology, but religion has been the bedrock social environment that this country, the U.S., became great on. But self-interest is not a Christian value. You know, uh, selfishness is kind of the, in some sense, the original sin that Scripture really rails against. Self-sacrifice, taking up your cross and following after me, Jesus says. You know, that's kind of core to the gospel. So if America aspires to be great, I think humility is in order and return to some of these first principles of respect for civil and religious freedom, the rule of law, separation of powers. I mentioned a poem called Ozymandias, King of Kings. And it's a poem that says, out in the desert, abandoned by all, and with the drifting sands around, there's a huge visage, and underneath a sign, it says, I am Ozymandias, King of Kings, you know, fear and trembling. And it says, nothing stirs but the desert birds. When we talk about greatness, 
Something like that, I think, puts it in a certain perspective. Because what is great? We've torn down statues all over the US of great heroes of the wrong cause in the past. And others like Saddam Hussein, not only the statue, but their, their very existence has been snuffed out by revisionism. Ellen White, speaking to Seventh-day Adventists, says, call no man great who hasn't had the wisdom to choose loyalty to God. That, at the end of the day, is all that can constitute true greatness. Hmm. You've been listening to a conversation between Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, and Alan Reinick, executive director of the California-based Church State Council. Their topic today was great, greatness, what makes people, what makes a nation great. I invite your listener to www.libertymagazine.org if you'd like to continue learning about this topic and sharing these ideas with others. You can do that listening to podcasts, reading Lincoln Steed's blogs, and also reading the articles that appear in Liberty Magazine every other month. They're all right there for your enjoyment and edification at libertymagazine.org. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed and Alan Reinick inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443-391-7258 or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. <laughs>